Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Porras, Dr. Physical Therapy Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. Today, I'm with the Director of DFS at 4 for 4 Football. He's a co-host of the DFS MVP Podcast. He is at TJ Hernandez on Twitter. TJ, thank you for coming on, braving the storm, um, because I had technical issues again. I really need to stop doing that, um, even though I feel like I never have technical issues until it's like one person I'm super pumped to have on the pod, and that was you. So then tell me, TJ, what do you drink? I mean, do you have an IPA every now and then? Not at all. Good, man. Yeah. I mean, listen, we had, what, 13 minutes of technical issues. I think that's pretty good in the podcasting world. I've, I've had a lot that, that last a lot longer than that. But uh, no, I'm, I'm good. Uh, glad to be on the pod. Actually, my, my first one of the 2021 season, uh, I try to take the term off season as literally as possible. So between uh, Super Bowl and free agency, I'm, I'm usually pretty hard to find on in the Twitter world or podcast world, but uh, we're right around the corner from free agency. So I'm, I need to be jumping back in. A lot of people say it's like, if I don't like, it's because I don't like bitter drinks, but that's not true because I, I love Campari in a cocktail, but I just think that when I'm in the mood for a beer, I want, I want something crisp, refreshing, uh, but I'm, I'm a liquor guy more than a beer guy for sure. So I, I tend towards uh, scotch uh, and mezcal is what I always have on deck at home. Uh, my go, my go-to cocktail is, is usually an old fashioned. If I'm, if I'm just uh, hanging out at a restaurant or, or a little pre-dinner cocktail, um, but if I'm sipping at home, it's, it's usually, I always have a bottle of Laphroaig on deck. So I, I like the coastal scotch stuff a lot. Um, the PDR scotches, and then, uh, I usually have a bottle of Del Maguey, uh, around and then I always have a, a couple bourbons, a couple rise around. So, uh, yeah, if, if anybody is ever trying to figure out a gift to get me, if it's, if it's bourbon, if it's whiskey or, 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 uh, mezcal, I'm going to be a pretty happy man with that gift. Dude, I'm messing around having internet connection problems. You're living a high life probably <laughs> on like that 7G internet. Like you're a fancy motherfucker. Like good for you. Like I have the thing about my my ahead, taste don't always match up with my income. So it's a, it could be a dangerous it could be a dangerous <laughs> habit to have. Well, it depends how you do in DFS every <laughs> for week. Sure. Right? I mean, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So as the director of DFS, tell me a little bit about um, we'll just jump right into yeah. it. I, I want to know a little bit more about your story. I didn't put that in the script, but I do want to know. Tell me your story. I mean, just tell me where you, how you got to. Um, I mean, as it pertains to fantasy football, a lot of it was was happenstance. I uh, back in in the day, uh, late two thousands, early two thousand tens, I was an an aspiring online poker player. So I got um, I got really into that scene, uh, both on on the content side and playing. Uh, obviously. And for those that, uh, that know, or don't know the short story, basically in, in uh, uh, 2010 Black Friday, uh, when all of the major poker sites got shut down, that aspiring career uh, went away pretty much overnight. Uh, luckily, some of the guys that I was involved with poker and quickly made the transition to, uh, to DFS and fantasy as a career. Uh, and it was obviously early enough in fantasy that the fact that I had, uh, any body of work, just, just blogging and, and doing stuff here and there with some of those early guys, um, gave me a sample when people were, were looking for, uh, for writers, um, two guys that were really influential for me, uh, were Dave Loughran and Ryan Hodge. Uh, two guys are still very much involved um, in the industry, uh, Haji's still doing some stuff with labs, I believe. And, and Lafayette is with Osimo. Um, they had their own site 
um, they were looking for somebody that had any kind of writing experience. My experience was, was almost nothing. And, uh, from there, everything, um, just kind of snowballed. So, I mean, I, I would be a liar if I didn't say that a lot of where I'm at now has, has to be, uh, has to do with being really early in the game. Um, I mean, guys that are trying to break in now it's, it's tough. There's, it's obviously so much more competition and so many people, uh, doing, um, what I'm doing where in 2012, 2013, there just weren't that many options. Uh, so I was lucky enough that even though poker was nowhere near as successful as I hoped it would be, uh, that that decision to go down that path kind of gave me that, that luck to know people that transitioned to this as a career as well. So then what was your sort of entry in terms of, because I mean, you, you sound modest <laughs> and, and I, we, I think I appreciate that. I, I mean, most people yeah. do. I don't think I know I do, but I mean, there's gotta be something you stumbled upon. Yeah. What is your one key? What is your key that you found works for you when it comes to DFS? Like, first of all, are you cash? Um, are you, are you mostly D, uh, GPP? Like what, what, what is your niche? What's yeah. Your I, I mean, I would consider myself primarily um, a, a cash game player. I mean, I, I do play tournaments obviously, but um, a lot more single entry and, and three max. And I think that the two things that um, kind of helped me stand out is that coming from poker and, and coming from a guy with a finance degree and that's just always had a big interest in math and numbers is that everything I write has always been really data driven. And even though I still don't consider myself a very strong writer, um, I think that I can usually back up my arguments pretty concisely and convincingly uh, with data and still kind of do it in a way where I, I think and hope that I'm giving out good advice. And then just going back to being one of the, uh, I guess, the early doctors, if you will. One thing that my poker background did really teach me is that this game, even back then, even though DFS is what really led to a major explosion in the fantasy world that we're seeing right now in pretty much every format, um, even before that redraft, there wasn't a lot of really hard hitting content. Obviously, uh, Matthew Barry was blowing up ESPN and they were doing very well there, but there weren't a lot of niche sites. And what I, I knew from my experience as my time involved um, in the poker world is that as this thing grows, DFS and redraft as a whole, that the content around it is going to explode. So I was being very aggressive in terms of trying to make content, even if it, it wasn't for the biggest sites. A lot of times it was for sites that people had never, never heard of, but if there was an opportunity, I was jumping on it. I was writing, I was doing podcasts, I was doing YouTube shows. I mean, I was doing YouTube shows with Matt Harmon when we had four listeners, four watchers back in the day um, when both of us were just these hungry dudes. But I, I just recognized that the content was going to explode. And if I, if I kept my foot on the pedal, that, eventually that war of attrition will win out. I'm going to have a body of work when these opportunities arise. Um, and I think, I don't think anybody ever really feels like they have foresight at the time. It's always like hindsight's always 2020. I was just doing something that I liked and I wasn't necessarily saying if I do X, Y, and Z, then this is going to snowball, but I like doing it. And I know that there is going to be these opportunities. So it just made sense to be doing that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that you did it the right way too. I mean, not that there's one way to do it, but you sort of put your nose to the grindstone and you stuck to what sure. you know. And that's what, that's what ended up bringing you to where you are. So, so then how, what was the transition specifically to four for four? Uh, I mean, really it was, uh, again, just back in the day I was doing so many different, um, I was all over the place. I mean, if there was, if there was a website, I was probably on it. And, um, at the time, again, this, again, this not necessarily having foresight, but just kind of seeing a void and, and looking uh, to see if you could fill it. Four for four didn't even have, uh, they weren't even doing Titan streaming content or, or articles that there was no content on redraft Titans. Pretty much. It was pretty much the redraft rankings. And, and I saw that they were only doing quarterback streaming and I hit them up. Uh, Denny Carter was actually the one that, that uh, put me in contact with uh, Josh and John and said, Hey, you guys, aren't doing Titan streaming. I, I think you should be. Here's the stuff I've done before. Um, and I have Denny to vouch for me. Can I do it? And uh, that that little tiny Titan streaming, uh, along with stuff I was doing with DFS already on the side, luckily I was able to expand my role and, and get to know Chris Raybon really well. He was the original guy in my, actually Jonathan Bales was the original guy in my job. Uh, but I, I think Chris Raybon really helped build out to what it is now. Um, and he trusted me enough to be his right hand man when he went off to labs. Uh, again, another, another void I was lucky enough to fill. That's awesome, man. Especially the Denny Carter part, because everybody knows Denny <laughs> yeah, Carter. Man. I had him on, <laughs> he mentioned you nice. actually, I had him, I had him on last, uh, August, yeah. um, before the, before the 2020 season. And he mentioned, cause he was sort of like, what's the word? Well, I don't, I don't, Godfather's way too dramatic. <laughs> and like, he was an early adopter of my uh, content. Sure. And then we got to talking about that. He's like, yeah, I like, I like being early adopter yeah. of content. I like reading new, refreshing content. He's like, I remember I put out articles by, he listed a few names and he listed you. And I was like, oh really? I didn't know that, uh, that, that you were the, that you were one of Denny Carter's, uh, uh, Godchildren. Yeah, no, no. I mean, he was, he, I mean, and it's, it's ironic now because it's like, I even still, I, I direct the DFS side of things and he writes for us. So I, I like edit his articles, but I like, I can't even call myself an editor of Denny. Cause I think Denny is like, as a writer, it's so clear that he is a, a professional trained writer that went to journalism school. Right, like the, right, just the right. way his articles come across compared to 95%. He's such a good writer, but yeah, I, I was, I was listening to, uh, him and JJ doing, doing, uh, living the stream. Like I probably right when it came popped up and, and again, I was just so into the, the fantasy world and how it was exploding that if there was a podcast, I was, I was listening to it and there's just happened to be one of the good ones. Um, but I mean, I was, he was another guy, him and JJ, I was just sending people stuff, uh, pretty much unsolicited, um, being like a, an active listener, like an active forum poster and, and just, uh, just being excited about it. You know, again, like I, it, there was no like master plan that, Oh, this is going to happen. And, and these guys are going to recommend me one day. Um, I was just lucky enough to have some stuff that they liked. Yeah. So uh, if it wasn't for Denny, I might, I might not, never have got my foot in the door at four for four. That might be the case, but I, I'm sure you, <laughs> some, you, you would have gotten in there. I promise. And it's funny. He said, God, and it's been a while since we yeah. talked about this. So I think he, I think this was in reference to you. I'm pretty sure. He was, he said something along the lines of like, this guy was kicking my ass in like every league I had. And so I had to read his content. 
because you said something. Yeah, I don't remember what it was specifically, but I do remember that was part of it. That the, like he first noticed you when you were kicking his ass in some nice. league, or you took him down. Yeah, like, we uh, we were playing a lot. Um, I mean, shoot, that was at the beginning of like Apex fantasy football, so we were playing a a ton of Apex leagues. I mean, if if it, <laughs> if, if, if if it was a, if it was about me, that's great. I mean, I. In my head, I have a horrible track record in in uh, industry leagues, but maybe maybe back then I was maybe back then I was better than I am now somehow. <laughs> no, 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 man. I think I think that you're doing you're doing just fine. So before we move away from specific DFS, I want I want to know because I want to talk a little bit about how you basically saw the future with Josh Allen. <laughs> but I want to know what is one key that you think. Um, DFS players should know what is one takeaway that in 2021 is going to be relevant. Something that you think is, even if it's not new, even if it's not creating the wheel, yeah. what is something for cash players that you, you know, some sort of advice? You yeah, have? I, th- I think, um, I think they're like the, the number one thing that people get wrong. And I, this is starting to become just across fantasy, uh, as a whole. Um, and that's roster construction. I mean, if, if you're just going into DFS trying to roster what you think are the best players, even, even I mean, at this point, a lot of people say something like a, a dollar per point projection. Um, you know, everybody's doing those and some of them aren't very accurate. But a lot of those things are going to give you a really good primary understanding for how to build a lineup around value and understanding where you typically want to allocate your salary. Um, some of those ideals have changed over the year, years and it really is going to vary based on on the site you're playing. Um, I mean, the difference between a DraftKings and a FanDuel lineup with full PPR, no bonuses, uh, sometimes those lineups look night and day, but understanding roster construction, what it really means when you're spending a certain amount of salary um, on these players and, and how that impacts the type of game you're playing specific, like you're asking about cash games, um, spending on volume and, and players that where these fantasy points come from. And a lot of the time it is volume for quarterbacks, sure efficiency, but I mean, quarterbacks is kind of a different discussion at this point, but um, going after that volume and understanding that these players that, yeah, they scored 20 points last week and chasing that, that point total because of touchdowns is just going to be a losing strategy. And, and that's really just the foundation because um, all every player that takes this game seriously understands those things. And if you're going into a DFS game blindly, um, you're really, you're really dead money. And it's harder to see sometimes in NFL because the, there is so much variance in the week to week results, but I mean, there's a lot of people that, uh, that I just know casually that send me lineups, um, friends, you know, friends just from around town that casually play. They are such dead money just, because of roster construction alone. I, I think what's really going to change in the coming years, I know you said we don't have to, it doesn't have to be anything new, um, but the the prevalence of the dual threat quarterback, and I think we're going to get into this a little bit more later in the pod, uh, but the value of that dual threat quarterback uh, has grown exponentially, especially since last year. You are absolutely perfect at helping me segue <laughs> because on January 27th, 2021, 7.24 p.m., you tweeted, as we transition to off-season fantasy football mode, be cautious with the fringe QB1 mm-hmm. guys. Those players are QB2s now and will often be low in QB2s. Yeah. Tiers have changed. With so many great mobile quarterbacks now, 2020 was a sign of things to come for quarterback scoring, yeah. not an outlier. And then you tweeted, uh, basically, what was this, the one, two, three, four, five, six, the last six yep. seasons? Is that yep. what it was that you yep. tweeted? 
yep. of, of fantasy quarterbacks and fantasy finishes yeah. and how they are able, even if they don't run a lot, you know, I think of Aaron Rodgers, even Mahomes, even if they don't run, they can mm-hmm. run. And you're saying that's the future. Is that sort of what you were getting For at? For sure. Um, and, and it's not just that, but it's how they're scoring fantasy points, um, how many fantasy points they're scoring, and how much they're scoring in relation to the field. So in 2020, we saw 10 quarterbacks score at least 21 fantasy points per game. Seven quarterbacks had uh, at least 80 rush attempts. Uh, if we look at the five previous seasons combined, we only had 14 uh quarterbacks with 21 plus fantasy points per game or or a little under three per game and only 17 total quarterbacks uh, over the last five years that exceeded that 80 rush attempt number or uh, just a touch over uh, three quarterbacks per season. And the reason I don't think that this crazy uh, scoring year for quarterbacks is an outlier is because we have so many of those dual threat quarterbacks now. And I think the obvious argument that people would make is, okay, well, if we if we have so many of those quarterbacks, say the pool is 10 or 11 guys that can put up those numbers, um, then they're going to be available to all of us. Sure, but the problem is if you miss out on one now, you are very close to drawing dead because the reason that quarterback streaming and, and waiting – on quarterback and late round quarterback. One of the reasons that it has been such an efficient method for drafting in single quarterback, 12 team or 10 team leagues is because the, the point projection between the quarterback eight and the quarterback 18 was almost nothing. So if you're getting any of those guys, then you aren't really getting much of a drop-off in point expectations. And if you draft the wrong one, there's going to be someone sitting there on the waiver wire for you. What's happening now is we have this crop of, say, 10 quarterbacks that because they rush so much, in addition to being quite efficient quarterback scores uh, with their arm, the gap between, say, the quarterback 10 or 11 and the quarterback 17 might be five fantasy points per game, six fantasy points per game. When they hit 10 or 15 fantasy points per game, where in the past that difference might have just been one or two points. Uh, so if you are still playing in, in a single uh, quarterback 12-team league, you might still be able to get away with drafting the 11th or 12th quarterback in your league, but because those guys are so much more valuable, I think we're going to see the entire ADP of those players move up. And if you're somebody that's traditionally waited till the 10th or 11th round to draft a quarterback, you do that again. Uh, you might find yourself grasping at one of these fringe quarterback one guys uh, that has finished. The, the thing you, you're going to see a lot of analysis that we've always seen is, oh, this quarterback's been a QB one or, or a top 13 quarterback the last five years. That doesn't matter anymore. Kirk Cousins cannot compete with Lamar Jackson anymore. He can't compete with Deshaun Watson in terms of fantasy points per game. Um, I, I mean, his I don't have his touchdown interception ratio, but it was phenomenal this year. And he was like, the quarterback 13, like not even close to any of these top guys. So the, the, the value of those guys is going to rise relative to the field. And especially if, if you're playing in a 14 team or 16 team leaguer, a super flex, a best ball where everybody's taking two or three quarterbacks, all of those things are going to be even more amplified. Um, and it had a lot to do with, again, a subject we'll be talking about in a little bit with, my analysis of quarterbacks like Josh Allen, because we had this crop of seven or eight guys that I didn't want to miss out on. 
And I felt like if you didn't get one of these top seven or eight quarterbacks last year, you just weren't going to be able to compete in your fantasy league. Now, sure, you were able to get a Ro- Aaron Rodgers or a Ryan Tannehill, but you are hoping that you hit on a guy, Aaron Rodgers, who throws a 9% touchdown rate. That's not sustainable. That's not reliable. A guy that's rushing 80 to 100 times that gives you an opportunity for 5 to 10 rushing touchdowns, that usage is sustainable. And those yardage and the way that scoring happens is sustainable. That crop of guys, it's going to be really hard for any quarterback that isn't playing the game the way that they play to compete in fantasy. Speaking of quarterbacks who are going to break the game, <laughs> one quarterback who broke the game yeah. as you, as you, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, predicted. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm looking <laughs> for. Definitely. You definitely predicted Josh Allen, man. What was your, I want to know your mm-hmm. process, but I also want to know if you saw something nobody else did. Tell me how, because for the, the listeners who don't know, TJ Hernandez was out in front of the lead. This was like, what end of 2019. You were like, man, this guy's going to pull together and he's going to be good. Not necessarily that you were predicting he was going to be what he was, but you were definitely in the loudest minority sure. of people screaming for his ceiling. Sure. And so when it comes to like, did you predict he was going to be top? What did he end up being like top three, top two? I don't even know what it was at this point, or maybe he wasn't that yeah. high. I don't know. Um, but whatever his ceiling was, you were like, I think this guy's going to get close to a ceiling. And he yeah. did like, what did you see? What was your process? Let's hear. Yeah. That. So the, when I really started thinking hard about Josh Allen was after the addition of Stefan Diggs. I, I've always really liked Stefan Diggs, but um, I wrote in the article two things that really got me thinking about Josh Allen as a fantasy asset that I had to have last year. It wasn't even that I was the first one to think about it. I heard other people kind of mention this briefly, and I just hadn't seen anybody really dive into it and say, this is a must for fantasy. So back in around NFL draft season, uh, I heard Adam Levitan and Evan Silva on the ETR pod, just kind of, I don't want to say a throwaway comment because they did get into it more as the off season progressed, but they just kind of said late in a betting pod that they liked him as a dark, dark horse MVP. I thought that was very interesting. And then when Matt Harmon's, um, Uh, reception perception came out it just kind of reaffirmed everything that I thought about Stefan Diggs and John Brown as a combo now obviously John Brown missed a lot of the season so he didn't play as much into the success and I didn't think Stefan Diggs was going to be as great as he was I just knew that having a a pass catching duo like that could raise a quarterback with the skill set that Josh Allen had people the thing people had always kind of knocked Josh Allen on was his accuracy, but I did notice that he had an offensive coordinator in Brian DeBall who had very similar tendencies to Greg Roman and had a lot of success with similar quarterbacks. He had done it with Lamar Jackson and he also done it with Colin Kaepernick. And I saw a lot of things from Brian DeBall in his first couple of years with Josh Allen that we saw uh, with Greg Roman with those two quarterbacks. And then, uh, After that, after all of those things, I was still really just looking at it from a math and range of outcomes perspective. After that article came out and I I was going on more podcasts and, and tweeting about it and pounding the table, the thing that I was 
I really kept going back to was that we have to be understanding ranges of outcomes for quarterbacks. And we had about six or seven guys that I mentioned that were going uh, as the top seven quarterbacks that had the rushing potential, similar rushing potential to Josh Allen, but also had the passing upside. Now we haven't seen it come into fruition with Josh Allen, but if we looked at his accuracy, if we looked at how he was being used in terms of throwing the ball, it was very similar to Lamar Jackson's 2019 in terms of Lamar Jackson. He was very efficient on the deep ball. He actually wasn't very accurate. Obviously had a ton of rushing upside, which I didn't think Allen would reach, but I thought he had enough upside with his arm that if he continued to do what he was doing on the ground and hit that ceiling and become more efficient, then he has all the tools to be a QB one. Not to mention he was going out of those seven guys that I said I thought were must-haves, he was the last one being taken. If you were in our Twitter Twitter circle and playing a lot of best balls, he was going relatively early, seventh or eighth round. But if you were looking at sites like Fantasy Football Calculator that are looking at all the leagues, that are looking at casual leagues, he was going as the last quarterback in a lot of casual drafts. Um, if you were playing on smaller uh, best ball sites like Yahoo, he was going in the 10th and 11th round sometimes. So a lot of it was still price dependent. I wasn't telling people take Josh Allen as the quarterback to take them in the fifth round. I wasn't telling them to take any of those quarterbacks in the fourth or fifth round. Josh Allen was still very affordable. So all those things combined just kind of made it a slam dunk for me. Yeah, it's all that easy. Right? It's <laughs> totally easy, TJ. Sure. We all can see the future yeah. the way you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You play the you play the modest card. Sure, <laughs> yeah. You're like, man, this is easy. This shit's easy. I'm a millionaire. I drink millionaire drinks. <laughs> I make millions every Sunday playing DFS. We get it, TJ. Sorry, we can't. That's like Michael Jordan. Did you ever hear the story about Michael Jordan um, initially when he took over the Hornets? There's like some story where. <laughs> the moral of the story is that they were they were bad. Uh -huh, right? they, yep. they haven't been good in a long time. And Jordan just taken over the team and and he went to the locker room and he had a meeting with him. And like the takeaway to all the players is that Jordan was like, Why can't you just be <laughs> and like he, he like had no concept sure, of what it meant sure. to just not to not be good. He and, he and like everybody, the player's takeaway was like he went in there and was like, Hey, just Stop being bad at basketball yeah. and be good at basketball. I mean, yeah, that's sort you, of vibes you, I'm getting. No, no, I mean, there you did. <laughs> I, I don't think um, I have ever done anything that would compare me to Michael Jordan. But I mean, you don't know what you don't know, and you only know your own experience and can't understand someone else's, right? So, I mean, like it's I've I've been working in the fantasy industry for I think this is going on my eighth year, like getting paid at all. And last year was the first year that I had anything pop that big, you know? So it, it does, there is like a, a big accumulation of knowledge before you can have these things where you can, you can notice these things that might not be so obvious to somebody. It's, it's analogous to the, to the 10,000 hours of work before you're a master at it. Like you have to have a crazy foundation um, before you can, you can have things that kind of come natural. And I think a lot of new writers miss that. Like it's like, it's so it's similar to stand up comedy. You see a stand up doing, it looks so easy. They're just talking. You can look at a fantasy football writer. They just write, I play fantasy football too. They're not doing anything that I can't do. Um, but there's just, there's a lot of nuance that comes with experience in, in any field, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just giving you crap. I, I totally know you're not. You're not. You're not giving me those vibes in real life. That reminds me, though, of us, the listeners need to know the story of the first time 
that I messaged TJ. He just followed me. We followed mm -hmm. each other. And I messaged him, just friendly message. I said, hey, man, if you ever need anything, you have questions, you know, sports injury related, NFL, whatever, just give me, you know, give me, your, give me a ring or give, send me a message, slide in. I'll, I'll help you out. Um, he, TJ responded and said, oh, yeah, man, definitely. Congrats on the spot with points. <laughs> oh, points, I remember you know. this. <laughs> You're, yeah. And he, he was like, congrats on the points or on the, on the spot with fantasy points. I said, yeah, man, I feel like I'm Christian Leitner on the 92 team. What TJ then said to me was, I still think about every <laughs> single day when I wake up and every single night before I go to bed. He said, hey, it's better than being Isaiah. <laughs> For the listeners who don't know, Isaiah Thomas was infamously left off of the 1992 uh, dream team with Jordan and Bird Magic. Um, and I think about that a lot, TJ. Yeah. So um, I really appreciate you saying that because that was probably one of the funniest things that I've ever read. And um, I tweeted about it too. And it's I, I'm not kidding you. I probably think about that more often <laughs> than I want to admit because I just laugh about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm, I always try to, uh, I always try to throw a little wisdom in with my sarcasm so I don't come off like a complete jerk. <laughs> you definitely, you definitely haven't. Excuse me. Wow, definitely haven't. Um, but I did want to move on to your because i know it's rookie season yeah, man. so just give me your top rookies or top pros, prospects no specific order man you know what i have not um dug into my rookies quite yet but i i think i just really am excited about this rookie quarterback class because uh yeah. just because of a lot of the things we're talking about and uh, the reason that uh i said that I don't think this is an outlier season. So I'm going to dance around the question a little bit and not give you specific players, but I'm just really excited about um, this class uh, because I think a lot of these guys do profile or similar, similar to some of these top quarterbacks in the game. And I, I do think that the quarterback pool is just going to continue to get more efficient, not just with efficient quarterback throws, but guys that are mobile enough to really take this quarterback thing to a next level. And I think it's really going to, to break fantasy football in terms of like, if you aren't getting these dual threat guys, then you're just, you're going to be dead in the water. And, and sure the argument might be, well, if, if these guys keep coming in, that's all we're going to have. Sure. But I do think there is going to be a two or three year window in redraft right now, where if you aren't getting a top, eight or nine quarterback, you're really going to be uh, on the outside looking in. I think it's going to force some of us to do some things uh, that are um, really uncomfortable in terms of taking quarterbacks earlier than we might have been in the past or been told to in the past by people that are experts. But uh, just in general, I'm excited about that, especially the top of this QB class. I think it's going to be a really, really fun one to watch. Absolutely. So then sort of sort of mm -hmm. potpourri here, jumping back. What advice do you have for content creators? Because you said it yourself earlier, you're like, you know, part of part of the reason that you were able to grow as much as you did is because you got in early. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely more talented. I would say that's maybe like the 1% of what it was. <laughs> but I want to know what advice you have for content. Because, man, I was thinking about mm -hmm. this today, you know, like what specific way can somebody, you know, get their foot in the yeah. door? I don't want to say weasel their yeah. way in, but I mean, at this point, it seems like the only, to me anyway, unless you're super, super committed mm -hmm. and you are just like nose to the grindstone and have more time than you know what to do mm -hmm. with, it's really hard to carve yourself out as like an independent person. Yeah. But I just I wanted your thoughts. Um, there is, I've, I've heard a lot of good advice on this lately. There's been a lot of podcasts uh, recently and in, just in the last couple of years 
um, where people have been asking this question a lot. And there's a, there are a few answers that you hear quite a bit. Um, and they're all, they're, there's, they're all fantastic advice. I mean, being versatile, podcasting, streaming, writing, if you have all of those skills um, and more, if you, if you have editing skills, if you are good at something like our data programs, um, all of those things are going to expand your, um, your chances to, to get your foot in the door. Um, and the more you do them, uh, the quicker you're going to figure out which ones you like the most and, and which ones you are the best at. Um, so I, I definitely think there is, like you said, people just grinding nonstop. Um, you know, if you're committed to having any job that a lot of people are fighting for any lifestyle, um, you're going to have to put in the work, but, but they're in, in any field or any parts of life. I think you, you are, uh, prone to burnout. Um, so I, I think the best part of being versatile early on is being able to figure out what you're best at, what you like the most, being able to lean into that, um, the hardest. And, and that kind of ties into the conversation that's been going on a lot on Twitter lately in terms of, of working for free. I mean, if you're trying to get paid for every single thing that you do, um, it's probably not going to happen. Um, and I'm not saying that somebody should ask you to work for free. But if you're trying to get better, a lot of the stuff that you're doing just isn't going to be work. Sometimes it's not going to feel like work. I mean, there's to to this day, there are, I'll go down research rabbit holes and sometimes I might waste a week just doing research for nothing just because I thought it was going to be a good article idea and realizing either my hypothesis is completely wrong or just a completely dumb thing to be studying and I'm now I'm not going to put it out. Um, and I just waste, I might've just wasted 30 hours just doing research and maybe trying to type it up and spin it and then thinking, oh, this is actually stupid. Um, so things like that, you're kind of in a roundabout way are going to be working for free. And and then I, I think one, um, that I hear JJ Zacharyson talk about a lot, um, the way to stand out is like find a niche. If you're finding something that someone isn't talking about. And you're able to talk about that thing intelligently, like you have with injuries, then like Chris Allen at 4-4 has with weather, um, like some people are able to do with offensive line, which still isn't really done in fantasy that much. But if you just find a niche that you're super interested in, that you can become extremely knowledgeable in that no one else is talking about yet, um, you're going to eventually stand out if the work is good. Um, The one thing that I don't hear people talk about a lot when they talk about what advice you have for content creators. And I think it's the ability to take feedback. Um, As an editor, I edit hundreds of articles a year and I get sent hundreds of samples. Um, And it's very easy to see who is able to take feedback um, and who isn't. And, as an editor, it's hard to give feedback. Um, people put in a lot of work and, uh, you know, even just writing a thousand words, especially if you're not an experienced writer, that might take you a full day. Um, and I, I appreciate that. And it feels bad to tell somebody that they did a bad job on something, no matter how many times you do it. And there are a lot of people that I give feedback to that I think are better writers than me. And a lot of times 
that feedback isn't to say you're bad or you're doing something wrong, but what we're looking for and what we've seen have has worked and, and put a lot of time into how it works. This is why I'm telling you these things. And this is what we're looking for. And it's very obvious when there are people, some of the people that stand out, they're the ones that take the time to do something as simple as understand that even in the fantasy football community, there are sites that have their own tone, that have their own audience. And if you understand that before sending in your sample, that's going to stand out a lot of the time. And it's not to say that your style is wrong or the way that you uh, talk or write is wrong. But if you look at a site like 4 for 4, a lot of our content is, it's very matter of fact, it's very measured. We're very rarely going out on limbs um, just to go out on a limb, even though if you just listen to us talk about Josh Allen for an hour, you might not think that. Uh, other, other sites m- might be a little more entertainment driven. Other sites um, you know, might be uh, more driven by um, just by boasting yourself up and, and, and being a little more vocal in that uh, respect. But understanding that and adapting to that, a lot of times that's what the feedback is geared toward. And uh, I just think it's something that isn't, isn't talked about a lot. I think that you're 100% accurate when you say that eventually it's going to come down to you doing something. I mean, you can't just expect a handout, mm-hmm. right? And I don't sure. think a lot of people necessarily do, but at some point, I think what you're saying is you have to put in the work, yeah. you have to understand yourself. You need to be able to take feedback and criticism in a way that's going to make you yeah. better. Um, I saw, I don't remember what, I, I read a lot of random quotes that come across, like, I, I don't know if I just see them in the world and like they stick with mm-hmm. me. Um, but one of them was like, it, instead of looking at something as, um, why did this happen to me? Look at it, look at it as like, how can I learn yeah. from this? And I genuinely believe that, like, I genuinely believe that regardless of what you're doing, if you look at it as an opportunity to learn and, and, and integrate into what you're doing. I mean, I think that's that's really the the secret sauce. For it's sure. Very, very rarely, and especially in like your position, I'm gonna say that zero times in your in your career have you ever given negative feedback just to be a. Dick. For sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on for sure. <laughs> and so I think any of anything that you can take, any feedback you can take is 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 definitely golden, especially when you can get it from people who've been doing this for a while. I think that's uh, I think that's that's great advice. Yeah. So the follow-up question I have. Oh, did you have something to say? Oh, no, me? no. I was I was just going to I was going to just piggyback on on what you were saying. I mean, like one of my favorite pastimes in the world is is watching stand-up comedy and just kind of getting into the stand-up comedy world and what stand-up comics talk a lot about is you know, a lot of times you don't have your voice until you're 10 years into comedy. So you, you might have getting been uh, already been paid for comedy, had good comedy gigs, um, but you don't really become you until 10 years into the business. I mean, it's it's probably not 10 years in fantasy, but any writing or any any media you're doing or where you're representing yourself, it's going to take you a really long time to find your voice and putting in that work. So, I mean, a lot of times when you're taking that feedback, it's just helping build up that character and figuring out who you are as a writer or a podcaster um, or how you even fit into this space at all. You like, maybe you're not even supposed to be a writer, but going through that process helps you find where you fit in here in this fantasy space. Absolutely. What's the niche in fantasy that hasn't been filled or what's one, or maybe you have like five in your head. Yeah. What's a niche that hasn't been filled? Um, I, I think the, 
I think what we're going to start seeing is a lot of um, of non-standard scoring, a lot of non-standard games. Um, we're already kind of seeing it with with the increase um, of Superflex. A lot of people have been calling for um, you know changes to the full PPR system, looking for where um, fantasy is exploding or where it might be exploding soon. I think are really interesting. Uh, areas to explore we've seen it with best ball in recent years i think that's really going to start taking off with sites like DraftKings offering tournaments like follow the money right now that DraftKings is doing millionaires for best ball people that are talking about best ball tournaments are going to get a bigger audience um i mean some of these niche things are going to have a smaller audience and there is a um you know there's a chance that they don't explode but if you are the person that can explain a I don't know what it might be a, a point per first down league or whatever super flex, you know, super flex is, is still kind of niche. Um, finding a position that isn't talked about a lot. Um, like I, I mentioned offensive line earlier, like, like all other positions I think are, are dug into pretty well, how defenses are impacting fantasy football, just little things that impact the game um, or, or certain quirks to scoring that people aren't talking about a lot. I think there could be some opportunity there. I mean, it's, it's it is tough to to find one but um if you're the only one talking about it it's going to be a lot easier to stand out absolutely absolutely all right man you've been great and you've been super patient with me you've been you've been fantastic with a lot of information so i'm going to get you out of here but you have to answer two of the following <laughs> okay. two of the three of the following questions okay you either have to tell a time that you got the most drunk okay. a time you said something to somebody that you immediately <laughs> regretted or you know an embarrassing story foot and mouth story um, or you can talk about the biggest accomplishment of your life. You got to pick two. All right. Well, we we started the podcast with booze, and we're ending with booze. I like I I, <laughs> I, I like that, and and it's it's Let's it is it. it is actually very appropriate. One one thing that I I don't talk about it a ton, obviously, because I'm usually on podcasts to talk about football, is that be before I I was full time at four for four. I was um I was doing a lot of my writing obviously as a part-time gig i was i was managing bars and restaurants i come from a bar background and i still uh have a couple uh, irons in that fire and, and have some aspirations to do some more stuff down the road with it so if if you're talking about drunk story there, there's a lot of them uh over the years i, I think probably we'll, we'll go the one of the earliest ones and most memorable ones um Back in is that an awesome <laughs> Sure, time. sure. Um, one of the earliest ones. I think those those early drinking days are always the ones that stand out the most. I uh, I think I was twenty one on the dot, and I, I had a friend that um, I had a friend that got drafted to the NFL, and as a celebration, as a lot of young athletes do, uh, went out to Vegas and, and took his friends with him, um, celebrate the signing bonus. So we were out there and. Uh, it's probably my first time in Vegas, definitely my first time in a Vegas club. And, uh, the, the waitress brought us, brought him out. I should say he was the one paying. I wasn't paying for anything. I was just along for the ride, brought out, brought out the bottles and, and, and spilled one of the bottles of Patron, like filled, spilled a lot of it. So, so to make up for it, they basically filled up our, our table, um, with Patron shots and, and, uh, I uh, proceeded to to take Oof. as many as humanly possible, and uh, long story short, came to throwing up on a slot machine in in Caesar's Palace, uh, being dragged oh. being dragged out by security guards. So I uh, I to this day still have an aversion to the smell of Patron. Are you serious? Yeah. Really? Yeah. When? How long ago is this? I was twenty one, so fourteen years ago. 
yeah. Yeah, you know, the inexperienced, inexperienced 21-year-old first time to Vegas. It's probably a very cliche story. Everybody's first time to Vegas, but, uh, you know, it happens. Were you by yourself at the slot machine? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, I'm, I'm a, a a classic Irish exeter. So, uh, I, you know, I'll I'll look around and figure it's time for me to leave and I don't want to say bye to anybody. So I'm, I'm assuming that's what happened and who knows how, how between the club and, and the, the throwing up at the slot machine is anybody's guess, uh, to what other embarrassing things happened there. But I would say, I would say that's the most memorable one getting dragged out by Vegas security. Like guards is a, It's pretty classic. That's a, that's the best one we've gotten nice. so far. I asked this question to, to most of the guests. I started asking it recently. That's, that's the best one. And I like, <laughs> all right, it's great. So now embarrassing story or biggest accomplishment. <sighs> you want to end on serious or funny? I'll let you. I'll, I want to end however you want right. to end. Um, That's why I leave it up to let's, you. Let's let's stick on the theme of of doing embarrassing drunk things. I don't think it's my. Absolutely. I don't think it's my my. It might. It's probably not my most embarrassing thing, but probably the most recent. Um, at a bar, and uh, had had uh, a couple Always a, good start, a couple friends way. meeting there, and uh, one of the friends was a bartender that I have known a bit, but never knew very well. Um. I proceeded as she was leaving to to ask her for her number in front of her boyfriend. And the reason I did it is because my friend that I was with before that told me that she was coming with her roommate. So in my head, the whole time, he was just a nice roommate guy. And I end up looking like this asshole that's asking girls for numbers in front of their boyfriend. And when they leave, somebody casually says something, something, her boyfriend. And I turn to my friend and go, why would you ever call someone's boyfriend their roommate? And he goes, I never said that. So that's probably my most recent. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty rough one. And he was a nice guy. He was a great, nice guy. I've you just look like the a complete biggest douche <laughs> of all time. Oh man, I don't even know what to say to that. I story. still that's don't know what one. to you say to that. Good one. stories, man. Yeah, that's wait. When did you say that happened? Um, this was probably when was when did the pandemic start? March. So this was probably last March. Oh, this is this, recent. well, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. This oh, that's why I said it's my my. We haven't been able to go to bars for the past year, so uh, I haven't had I haven't had any new ones to tell you. I'm sure if you talk to me uh, at the end of next 2020 season, hopefully this will be I'd, over. Yep, I should have some, I should have I now. should have some some fresh ones in about a year for you. Oh man, that's so fantastic! <laughs> all right, man, thank you so much for coming on, putting up with the technical issues. No, man, I don't mind it at all. At TJ Hernandez on Twitter, he is the director of DFS at Four for Four Football. Make sure you go to com. anything else you want to plug man uh no uh free agencies next season so we'll really be pumping up things at four for four uh that's when that's kind of congruent with when we start really rolling out some some heavy best ball content uh but yeah big free agency uh next week we will be we should have we did i believe over 100 player profiles this year so pretty much any player with a relevant adp or related to a player with a relevant adp especially if it's related to a free agent we will have specific player profiles on them uh in the coming weeks so just keep an eye out for those beautiful thanks again man i really appreciate you coming on thanks for putting up with all this this was fun thanks for having was, me uh, hopefully hopefully worth the wait oh yeah man